you know, that word disruption is now a buzzword, right? In, in industry, but disruption is just what we did. You know, it was at Nike, it was always, okay, what's everybody else doing? And how are we gonna just change the game? Hi guys. Hi Mika, how's it going? Good, nice to meet you guys. I, I met John, so Jesse. Jesse, your name sounds really familiar. Have we met before? I feel like we have. I actually I looked you up on LinkedIn, I have to be honest, and you look very familiar to me. So I feel like our paths crossed at some point when you were at Nike. Yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I, I know your name. It, yeah. it rings a bell. Yeah, same here. Um, well, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I list, I just listened to a couple of the episodes this morning and I was like, oh my gosh. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I listened to Melvin because I love oh, Melvin. Yeah, so I was like, this one yeah. will be entertaining. <laughs> yeah. No, he's great. I mean, Mel is we've cool. been, yeah, we've been pretty um, fortunate enough to have some amazing people like yourself to be a part of this. And um, we just hope to, you know, continue bringing good content from originally our schedule or our conversations originally. And, um, you know, what Jesse and I are trying to do is just let everybody know, like, you know, this is a time where good content, authentic content, just genuine conversations um, need to be had and that, you know, it could be anybody listening. Right. And, and we just want them to realize that they're not alone in their journey, whatever that it may be from, you know, career to personal to whatever. But we hope that this is something that could be uplifting understanding that not everybody, you know, it's not always roses for everybody, but, mm -hmm. you know, we have the determination to get to where we'd like to be eventually. It's just time and patience. And um, yeah, yeah so definitely. we're excited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for being on. We have Mika Cooper Edwards, uh, an amazing executive um, who runs her own media company. Um, prior to that, obviously, her Nike experiences and beyond that, I mean, I was looking at your profile. It's just amazing work that you've done. And um, usually we usually ask our guests, you know, from start to start to finish of where they are today to to what they were doing prior to kind of giving us a, a history of, of your career journey, starting from school and what motivated you to choose that specific subject to how you got into Nike and kind of go okay from there. sounds good and thanks again guys for having me it's so great to kind of go down memory lane um especially when it comes <laughs> to Nike because I think anybody that worked for Nike during the time that we worked at Nike is such a big part of of you right and your identity um and such a special experience so how did I get to Nike? So I, I was born in Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so I'm a Caribbean girl. And I moved to the U.S. first when I was going to college. So I got a scholarship to go to Howard University. Shout out to HU. That's where Kamala Harris went <laughs> and Chadwick Boseman. Yes. For people who don't know. Um <laughs> No big respect. Yeah, I I'm love like, that. We have to, we, um, Howard people are kind of a cult. It's really annoying. So I have to do that. <laughs> um, but um, so I played volleyball at Howard. Um, and while I was, I think it was my sophomore year, um, the NCAA was um, partnering with, you know, different different companies to, to recruit student athletes. So Nike was recruiting student athletes as interns um, as part of their bigger internship program. And I applied and, you know, for me, that was a dream come true because I was, you know, the one in my family who will be up at two o'clock in the morning in Trinidad watching MJ play and drawing on my Nike boxes and, you know, don't want to throw away my Nike shoes, <laughs> you know, because I just held on to them for their life. So, you know, that was a real dream come true. Um, and so I had two internships at Nike. The first one was in equipment brand marketing under Liz Christensen. Um, and then the second one was in brand Jordan. So um, I was working with Roman Vega, Teresa Tran, Danusha Gunaratni um, and my intern project for that summer was actually the international expansion of the Jordan brand 
because at the time the brand was less than a hundred people, if you could even imagine that, because it's huge now. Um, and MJ had just retired for the second time, so the brand was in this transition um, where they were trying to figure out what does the brand look like and mean without MJ on the court and without, um, yeah, you, you know, without the, the younger generation really knowing as much about him. How do we introduce the brand to the next generation and get that continuity without him on the court? So I was, I was doing advertising and working on, you know, some campaigns like the I am not Michael Jordan campaign. And that's when Melo just signed with the brand and, you know, Derek Jeter and Warren Sapp and those athletes um, under Roman. And then after that, I went back to Howard so that this would have now been my senior year. Um, and we have something called Howard Homecoming that we're also super proud of. <laughs> and I convinced um, the Jordan team back in Oregon to, to, to sponsor Howard Homecoming. So I became like, you know, the field marketing rep on campus. Um, and I used to travel too to like, if they had events going on in, in New York or All-Star Weekend, you know, in LA, you know, we, we meaning me and the other intern from that summer, we would go and basically just volunteer and do whatever needed to be done um, to help the team at those events. So that was really great. Um, and, you know, John had a really strong presence at Howard Homecoming, you know, a lot of product placement and other activations. So that was really exciting and got me a lot of street cred on campus. So <laughs> I was happy about that. And then the way I got there full time was, well, obviously by then I had built up, you know, a lot of relationships. Um, and so there was a program called On Deck um, that was coming out of the product creation engine where they were trying to bring in product managers, um, young product managers with, like, that they felt had high potential to kind of move through the product creation organization and particularly footwear. So um, Semia Diago, who I interned with, she had told them about me and then Julie Markwood, um, who is, I would say, one of the best HR people I'd ever worked with. She brought me into this program, and it was the first time they were doing anything like that. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, it was just really kind of crazy because they were like, okay, so you're going to interview with Chris Eamon and Archie McEachern. They are, like, you know, they are like two of the best presenters in in the entire company. No pressure, but yeah, that's who you're gonna be talking to. So it was nerve wracking to say the least. And anybody who knows those two guys, especially Chris, he was in all black, you know, being his all like ninja self. Um, so I was super nervous, and you know, I just went in there, put my little portfolio together because I'm like, okay, they present well, so I need to I need to do a good job presenting to them. So I did my little portfolio, got my twist right and walked in there with my Trini accent. <laughs> and then, you know, that, that that was just the beginning of my Nike career. Um, I was, I started out, that first role was, um, I was doing promo product marketing, so I was I was a PLM on the on the product the footwear team for basketball for Nike basketball, um, and my response it was that was actually the first time that role existed, um, and I had to do all of the on court footwear for all the professional basketball players NBA WNBA men's and women's NCAA elite college high school um so it was a real baptism of fire in a lot of ways um i was also working on inline product for the international regions um with loretta louis so yeah basketball was was a lot of guts and a lot of glory you know depending on what day the lights were really bright so if you made a mistake it was it was a lot of lights on that mistake. And if you did really well, there were a lot of lights on you too. So I, you know, it, it was really a, a unique place to start in the company um, where the stakes were pretty high. 
and you're working with, you know, LeBron and Kobe and CP and all, all these high-profile athletes. So that was really, really interesting. Um, should I yeah. keep going? Or? No, no. Well, I was going to say, like, first of all, um, interviewing with Chris Amon, yes, that's a big feat. If we all know who Chris is, Chris is one of the best speakers that I've ever seen um, during my time at Nike as well. He kind of just... I don't know what he does, how he speaks. He's just one of those guys who just mesmerizes you when he speaks. And you're just like in <laughs> awe of how well he articulates things. And I'm just like, every time I hear him speak, it's like, he's not selling anything, but I'm already ready to buy. That was the thing. I was crazy. <laughs> um, and then especially when you're working in the basketball category, I feel like, again, it's either running, basketball, um, you know, kind of the big major sports, right? Uh from a category standpoint, you're going to have all all eyes on you um, from a leadership POV. So definitely, when you came out, um, you know, guns blazing in, in your in your position, um, you already had people looking at you. Um, I would like to ask from going back to your internship because I think people would be interested in hearing um, your experiences a little bit more. Is when you um, were selected for the internship program. Um, could you give like our, our listeners an idea of like what it was like? Was it like kind of like you're in excited, but then at the same time, you're kind of thrown in and you're just going to have to learn as you go. Or were you supported um, given the opportunity to kind of uh, learn from key leaders that you were like, okay, this is the person that I need to lead with or learn from and, and emulate? Yeah, it was a bit of both in the sense that um, so in, in terms of, you know, actual, how it felt to be an intern, you know, I didn't really realize how competitive that program was until I got there. Um, you know, the first time, the, the first time around I was in equipment and they were like, oh, we've had over 2000 applications for this internship. And I was like, okay. That's good to know. <laughs> um, and, and, and the number of people selected is, is, was about 100 people, 100 interns for that first internship from all over the country. And, you know, you would, um, you know, you would look to your right and there's a guy who played basketball for Kansas. And you look to your left and there's a girl who's like, you know, a top volleyball player from USC, you know, um, so th these are elite student athletes and elite students, right, who all come to come to this place for the summer. Um, but so so that was really just energizing. And, you know, if anyone is familiar with Nike campus, you know, just working there was just amazing. I remember walking around like after my first internship by myself by the lake and praying to God that he brings me back here someday. You know, <laughs> um, it was, it was just such a mind blowing. I, it just opened up all your whole world of possibility. Um, and then, you know, they, they, they would, they would, you know, have you attend these different like weekly intern meetings. Um, and of course they'll have H white speaker, the first one. So, I mean, <laughs> you can't go wrong, right? right. You're, you're <laughs> Um, and then specifically in terms of like the day-to-day, -day, my two internships were very different from each other. Um, equipment, when I worked in equipment, it was, it was a really, I think a really good safe place for me to start where, you know, it wasn't one of the big, the big divisions and it was, but it was growing. So there was a lot of excitement, um, and there was a lot of space to create um, there. But in Jordan, because, you know, obviously that was a lot more high profile, it was a little more structured. And Roman was very good with, um, you know, teaching us. Um, I think he really took a lot of time to teach and to make sure that we understood what we were doing. But Jordan at that time was a real family atmosphere. So they didn't treat you like an intern. They treated you like part of the family. Um, and the broader culture of Nike at that time was just very entrepreneurial. So if you had an idea and it was a good one, the best idea won. It didn't matter who it came from. And I remember doing my intern presentation and, you know, H and Larry and, you know, all the leadership of Jordan was there and very interested and engaged and 
gave you a lot of respect um, and were genuinely interested in what you had to contribute. So I feel very fortunate, um, you know, to have gone through that process. Yeah, and you you, you named like H.Y., obviously Larry Miller. Um, obviously, there are some great leaders that you were able to kind of learn from and hear from and kind of just gather that information mm-hmm. from them. And then being able to be a full-time um black badge, you know, Nike employee. Um, and, you know, now you're, you're running through, you know, understanding the product marketing side and how to, you know, work with cross functions. Um, could you speak about a little about, um, you know, continuously, we're still talking about leadership, like whom you admired or really, you know, what's that, who's that first person that you would think, um, that you, you just respected from a leadership perspective and, and um, you know, what motivated you to continue learning from that person? Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to pick one, to be honest, um, because, you know, a, a few names like stick out to me. Um, like I, I would choose Larry Miller, somebody who I, who I thought, who I think to this day was really good at creating a, a very distinct culture what what existed in in the jordan brand was very special you know um and it was even distinct within nike um you know and that that kind of freedom that he gave the team and that kind of you know that family atmosphere that was very nurturing but also you know pushing you to be the best because it's jordan so the excellence theme was, you know, that was one of the brand truths that everybody lived by. So I think of Larry when I think of that aspect. I think of Chris when I think about inspiration um, and tough love. Um, <laughs> still, he, to this day, he's one of my closest mentors. Um, and he's really great at pushing you um, to be better um, and to kind of like expand your possibilities mentally. I think of Liz Christensen as somebody who's a really great kind of supporter, um, but in a much quieter way. Um, Megan Carl, I think of her, you know, I, I think I've, I, I was able to, and very blessed to be able to kind of take the best of different leaders um, and, you know, use that to kind of infuse my own take on leadership, Um you know, and even the, the leaders that weren't that great, right. <laughs> you know, um, learning from them what not to do, you know, and there, there were some of those at Nike as well, if I'm to be honest. Yeah, I think um, that's, that's so, everywhere yeah. for sure. I mean, can we, can I follow up with that then is like, how did you handle um, those specific type of leaders that weren't so great? And what motivated you to be like, okay, like, how do I adapt? What do I do to move forward? Because I think there's a lot of people you know, who go through that. I mean, not every position that you're in, you're going to have an amazing leader. I mean, of course you will, but there are times where you won't. And um, I think it's it's hard for some people to figure that out. I mean, how did you figure it out? Mm-hmm. I won't say that I figured it out at the time, but I think that what it did was when I faced problematic leaders in, you know, later on in my career, I was much more prepared to handle it um just just for context so you know being a young black female you know foreigner um moving to Oregon which wasn't the most diverse place at the time I think it's it's, it's a lot better now um but being in Portland was was isolating in some ways um and being so young fresh out of college and thrown into into kind of the deep end of of the pool a little bit um it was a time when work was a a lot of life you know was centered around work right because that's the reason why you moved to oregon why else would you move from dc or new york to oregon if you have no family over there so I, i i say that because for me, when things didn't go well at work and when and, and I put a lot of emotional stake into it um, and I expected a lot from leaders, um, particularly after basketball, because 
basketball was also a family, right? And so Chris was very good at uh, at setting a tone of like support. You know, I would always remember Trent Casper and Ken Link helping me move my dresser up the stairs, you know, <laughs> from my apartment when I first moved to Oregon. And I didn't even really know them, but that's what that's just what we did. So I bring that up to say that, you know, I wasn't very good at the time of dealing with the with the problematic leaders. I think what I what I was able to to get a handle on um as I matured in my career was oh okay I've seen this before and learning to manage up um and learning to kind of insulate yourself and put things in perspective and and knowing what battles to, to fight and what what things are kind of inherent in that personality that you're not going to change and it's not your job to change it. It's your job to be consistent, to be authentic and to be even more excellent because you don't have the, the support or the leadership that you would want to have. I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that would probably be my best way to to you know to to speak to no that. i think you said it perfectly i think it's 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 an ad- adaptation right like i think there's times where we deal with it and we don't know the answer but but if we deal with it again we might have a better solution i guess that's the perfect that's the way i would interpret it but i agree with you yeah and i i, I probably should add this it, it it teaches you how to lead yourself you know um a lot of times, especially in, in environments like that where, you know, those big names um, at Nike, you know, you'll hear them kind of echoing through the hallway almost, <laughs> you know. Um, and, you know, there was there was that kind of like, oh, this is this person, so how dare I challenge this person? And I was the person that would challenge leadership, you know, Um and there were times where that was rewarded and there were times where that was punished, you know. Um, but I think the reason I challenged leadership was because I had such high expectations of leadership um, and it meant so much to me. Um, and so when it didn't go, the, 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 you know, when it, when it went kind of the other way, it was it was hard to kind of like step back and you know realize that okay my what i need to do is now lead myself and not look so much to that person to provide um a certain amount of guidance you know so as you mature you you're more able to do that um of course but mentally you're kind of more prepared um to do that when you run into difficult leaders yeah, I think that's a really interesting point in that, you know, I think that the sign of a good leader is somebody who's willing to hear all voices. And I think that it sounds like you had, you know, amongst different opportunities, you know, you worked with people who were, who wanted to hear all opinions and wanted to hear all perspectives. And it's just interesting to me when we talk about the different categories or the different you know, business units at Nike and how they can have almost their own kind of culture and sort of family sort of feel to them and and how you spoke to Larry really being responsible for that. And I think Nike as a culture is very unique in its sort of the broad company sense, but how it then boils down to just the different teams and the different categories. And again, like Jordan versus, you know, Nike proper. Um, what can do you have any sense just based on your other experiences um after leaving nike like what sort of unique qualities around that culture that you can kind of take away oh yeah definitely i mean the to this day um i think about every day there's there's some lesson from from what i learned at nike that kind of you know rings um in, in my my current industry, which is very, very different <laughs> from, you know, athletic footwear and apparel. Um, but, you know, I think the culture of Nike really was very entrepreneurial. Um, and that drive and that competitiveness, healthy competitiveness, you know, that commitment to excellence. I mean, you were surrounded by... I, I believe some of the most talented people in the world. And 
we all love sports, you know, and that was a very unique combination that really brought forth excellence. And so after leaving Nike, that that carried with me throughout, you know, um, any any situation that I was in, uh, you know, that really applied, you know, the innovation, that commitment to innovation, that desire to innovate, um, that is definitely a big part of the culture um, that stays with you. Um, and teamwork, you know, um, just kind of being on that A team and you're showing up every day to win together. You know, that that was also something that I think was very um, special about our culture that, that I try to foster in any team that I lead or any team that I'm a part of to this day. That's fantastic. You know, you kind of spoke to the, um, the difference as, in terms of being a person of color um, from a different country coming in to Beaverton, Oregon. You have this unique experience where a lot of the folks that you mentioned that were your mentors were also people of color. And so it seems like, you know, maybe you may have had a, a, an experience that may be unique in that way. Can you kind of speak to just the opportunities that, that you were given and and have as much of an opportunity to potentially? I'm just curious what you felt like your career path um, you know, sort of was how, how that sort of was your experience, you know, within the company in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a bit of a double-edged sword um, in the sense that, you know, being somebody of color, um, you know, being, being an athlete that played at an HBCU as an example, right? You were able to bring a certain cultural perspective, um, but then, being a, a black Trinidadian and being a black African-American is not the same thing, right? And mm-hmm. so there's that nuance um, that I had to explain a lot to people, but I think at least on the immediate teams that I was a part of, that was something that they valued, you know, because I was bringing this different perspective. Um, but, you know, there are times where you're dealing with, um, others who may kind of look down on on that, they may look at you as, oh, you're not European. You don't have the British accent or the French accent, so whatever that is, we you know we don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, what the hell are you saying? I'm like, I'm speaking English, like you know, it's not that difficult. But um, but you know, like so 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 there were times it, it went both ways. But I think because I belong to teams that really. Um, value that and they didn't make me feel like too different you know and and they really were curious about my culture and my perspective and allowed me to express that and bring that to the table and infuse it into the work we were doing Um, I think it built up my confidence a lot and that was that was something that was allowed me to kind of just transcend you know those who weren't as open um yeah, I mean, oh, I was going to say on that topic, like, do you, I mean, obviously a lot of companies now or a lot of brands are really focused on diversity, um, you know, and, and I would love to get your perspective on do you see these brands truly following through what they're saying or is do you feel like it could be, you know, like they've always said is we want to focus on diversity, but we're doing it, but then we kind of lay back low mm-hmm. and then something happens from a current event standpoint. And then we go back to that, go back to that conversation or topic again. I mean, do you see brands really heavily, truly focusing on, on the word diversity, I guess, or equality? Oh, that's really good that you made that distinction because I think, I think that by and large, they're, fo- they're focusing on diversity and I'm not a huge fan of that word because I think it has been co-opted, whether intentionally or not, to be a form of tokenism, right? Um, People put Mm -hmm. out diversity metrics. It's like, okay, we have X number of, you know, minorities and X number of women and et cetera, et cetera. 
but does does that translate and those numbers might look fine but does that translate to true equality and equitable treatment um of everyone and i think that's where there's still a lot of work to be done and so the diversity metrics are met um to be able to appease the moment but the work isn't always being done beneath that to ensure the equality because the equality is the only thing that's going to make diversity sustainable so that would be my take on it I, obviously it, it varies from brand to brand and i think this year put a lot of pressure on some brands to step up um but there is a part of me that wonders why did this year have to happen for you guys to step up because i could even say working at nike and you know there's their challenges that, that i would have run into um and others who look like me and you know other minorities like friends of mine who worked at the company and we've been shouting about this for years right and so there's certain initiatives that you see and people who weren't at the company would applaud but those of us who've been there for a while and have been agitating for certain things for a while like what why did it have to get to this point for this change to be made now we're glad that the change is being made right so it's not to downplay the effort but it does beg the question of you know is this a trend or this is this a real commitment to change um yeah right um this i mean this is a, maybe a little bit of a jump ahead because i think it has to do with you know your role now and your business now um and so i don't want to like circumvent the the conversation just around like where you how you got to where you're at now um and so you know what honestly let's just if you don't mind i would love to kind of get a sense of um, I'll just hold this question and wait till we get to that point. But um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, the transition from Nike and what that looked like as you left the company and what the circumstances were around that? Yeah. Um, so I was in, and this was kind of, you know, things came full circle. I felt like it was destiny at the time because I worked at Jordan. Um, that was my last role in the company um, leading the international footwear business. Um, so it was very ironic, right? Because as an intern, I was working on the international expansion plan and then I <laughs> ended up leading international footwear, which was really cool. Um, and that was really a dream job, you know? Um, but then there were different challenges because I, I was actually kind of promoted to band levels above me. Uh, above where I was um, at the time and there was um, a bit of a debate or I would even say a mishandling of how that would be course corrected in terms of salary in terms of you know what my status would be on paper and I challenged it and that kind of coincided with the I would so I think it was like the first big reorg of the company. Um, and we were being put into different roles. And, you know, some people were being let go, but some people were being put into roles. And you kind of had the choice of you're taking the role or you're, you're leaving. And so because those two things kind of came together, I made the decision to leave at that point. Um, and... Uh, what was happening kind of on the personal side is because that role that I was being offered was just the U.S. region. And, you know, having been working in Jordan in that international role and traveling all over the world, working with the regions, you know, I wasn't as excited about the, being, being in Oregon all the time because um, I was on a plane, you know, in a different country like every two weeks. Um, so it just felt like the right time for me to kind of close that chapter. Um, and I actually made that, made the decision to return to Trinidad at that, at that point. Um, because my dad, he, 
he founded a, a steel pan export company. Um, so for those who aren't familiar with the steel pan, some people say steel, steel drum, um, but it's Trinidad's national instrument. Um, and so his company was the first of its kind to mass produce that instrument and export it and, and all of that. And he wanted me to come and help him. And it gave me like a, a an opportunity to just be closer to family after being away from family for so long. Like it would be like three flights that I had to take just to get to Trinidad. <laughs> you know, it would eat out like two days of your vacation just to go home, you know. Um, so I made that, that was a huge leap, you know, and returning to Trinidad, um, working in a family, you know, company, that was like purely entrepreneurial on his part. Um, that was an adjustment in itself, right? Um, and then I had worked with several different large distributors of like, you know, global FMCG brands um, after, you know, leaving my father's company. Um, so working on brands like Diageo, Mondelez, Kraft, um, you know, uh Moet Hennessy, like you know, a, a ton of different brands. So it was very interesting because it was almost as though I was able to now get the other side of the spectrum, you know, in the Nike roles, you are global, right? So you are the one that's kind of setting that overarching corporate strategy and then kind of pushing that out to the regions and the countries and, you know, working with them to interpret what is a pretty much a, a, a US-centered strategy. Being on the other end of that, and not just that, working on multiple large brands under your portfolio was was a really interesting, um, you know, change and a very different view. It's like, oh, okay, I was that person you know, who was telling them that this campaign should work in your country and you know it doesn't work, you know. Um, you know, so that that was really eye-opening for me, um, to be on that end of it and also just to to be exposed to different large influential brands um and how they approach branding and how they, they you know what their legacy was and being able to make that comparison with how Nike approached their brand identity and product and all that stuff um but then because I had kind of come full circle there I felt like okay what is there for me to really do in marketing consumer products it started to feel a bit empty and I started to to have this burning desire to to transition to the media industry um at first that was journalism um, because I was seeing a lot of the gaps that were that were existing in the media landscape in the Caribbean and in the developing world in particular. Um, and then that kind of evolved into, okay, no, I just wanna I just wanna take a, a, a cold break um from my career and go back to school and study the entire media industry and then decide kind of how I want to move forward from there so that's what took me to LSE um and I did my master sorry London School of Economics I should say that because people may not know LSE um and I did my master's in media there and that was my that was my transition point um just immersing myself in that and so I started doing producing work um while I was at LSE because my thesis um for my my master's was um, Nigerian film. I did a study on Nigerian film and I was studying the trajectory of Nigerian film to the West and how it would success successfully penetrate Western audiences or not and the reasons why and how that kind of intersected with Black global identity. Um, and the subjects that I used for that dissertation included some film directors and producers so one of the producers, one of the directors, he had a, a film that he was working on. And because he heard about all of the things that I had done on the Nike side and having marketing expertise, he was like, why not come and help me with my film? And that was my first producing job. Um, and then I just kind of built from there, um, doing independent producing work, working for a production company in New York, and then 
making that decision that, you know, at the end of the day, if I want to see certain stories told, I have to tell them myself. And that's what drove me to create my own company, my own media production company. Oh, man, I love that. I love everything about what you just told. Um, would you say that when you had left Nike and helping your family's business um, towards even going beyond that, going back to school and then learning the media side of journalism and so forth and starting your own company, would you say that you still to this day use some of the DNA that Nike had taught you and then obviously tweak it to where you are today? Oh, definitely. I think, you know, what what gets embedded into your DNA from working at Nike is, you know, that word disruption is now a buzzword, right, <laughs> yeah. in, in industry. But disruption is just what we did. You know, it was at Nike. It was always, okay, what's everybody else doing? And how are we going to just change the game, Right. And so that mentality is at the root of why I founded Soleil, um, which is which is my production company, um, because our role is to our goal is to make the, the global media landscape more equitable and representative of all the different cultures of the global South diaspora. So you're talking about Asia, Latin America, the Caribbean, the Middle East, etc. You know that is a big a big feat <laughs> um and even when i present that to people now whether it's investors or co-production partners or all of that they like it but their first their first response is this is very ambitious <laughs> you know and it's like yeah i know but that's the nike mentality right like no idea is too big um anything is possible um and if there's a problem to be solved, we will go after it with everything that we have. So I think that has just been a big, stayed with me and is still a big part of how I approach things and why why, why I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, I wanted, so this is good because now I can kind of follow up with the question. Um, and it's just interesting because I just like anecdotally, when um, Nike was in think 2018 doing the um, Nigerian kit, um, I was researching mm -hmm. Nigerian directors to create like a, you know, documentary style film. And, um, oh, wow. I wish, I would have, I wish you called me. And I'll be honest, it was a struggle to try to piece it together. I mean, I really went down some massive rabbit holes to like kind of figure that stuff out. So, um, but I'm, I'm curious, like going back to what I was going to ask earlier, it's just sort of like, based on the last year and you could say like, you know, not just in the United States, just sort of globally, like what's happening just around just sort of like reconciling around, you know, race relations and culture relations and things like that. Um, have you seen just like a, a shift in, in, in the way that people are reaching out to you around these opportunities and trying to get um, more of a platform for people from the countries that you're representing and the talent that you're working with? Yes and no. Um, I think because we're an emerging, uh, you know, we're a fairly new production company, right? Um, we, uh, I founded Soleil in 2017. Um, but in terms of, you know, fully building it out, that really started just a year and a half ago. Um, and that, that sounds like a long time to some people, but in the world of Hollywood, um, that's a very short time. So what's happening is that a lot of, a lot of production companies are reaching out um, and, you know, networks especially. They want diverse voices, but they're still following a very traditional Hollywood model where okay, these are the top five black producers, right? So everybody's going to those five. What about the other hundred, you know, of black, Asian, Latin, and all the different micro-identities that aren't being given a platform? Um, I think we, you know, 
a lot of a lot of other producers are still trying to have to seek those those opportunities out. With that said, though, there is more openness um, on a storytelling level, um, and there's a desire to to make you know the content programming and all of that more diverse. Um, but when you kind of go beneath the surface, it's the hurdles are still very steep. You know, um, the hurdles for, for, for getting the same level of financing that you might give a white producer or director, you know, mm-hmm. for the same type of film and the same scope of project. Um, the hurdles of trying to make sure that even if they are buying into your concepts, that those concepts, that they respect the authenticity, uh, you know, of of the culture that this this is supposed to represent. This year, for me, I was able to, you know, get into some of those very elite rooms, um, big agencies, etc., and my team as well. Um, but then we end up. You know, you, you think that, oh, yeah, yeah, we got this, we, you know, we have this co-production partner, we have this big agency on board, et cetera, et cetera. But then when you get down to it and you're trying to work out the creative, you find yourself really still having to advocate and sometimes fight to just retain the purity of, of what you, the story you, you set out to tell and make sure that it doesn't show that community in a negative or stereotypical light, right? That's still a fight. That's still a thing. So on this, uh, it kind of goes back to the question you guys asked before. On the surface, there's diversity. But below the surface, is there equity? Is there respect? Is there sustainability in that diversity? Um, So Yeah, I think you said it perfectly, uh, Mika, is is that, is that that was something that I was probably going to follow up <laughs> if you didn't say that is that I think like you said it's a lot of brands are saying it and trying it I just hope you know they continue thinking about the authenticity of different cultures different backgrounds but also not to go back to what they know but try to be destructive destructive I think that's the key word like we said right and, and just to move mm-hmm. forward and um, you know do the right thing, I, I think, basically. Um, but I'd love to ask you, um, you know, there are a lot of listeners that are either wanting to do something totally opposite of what they were doing now to maybe just getting out of school and not knowing what they want to do, um, but they know that they want to be with a specific brand per se. What kind of advice would you give these um, listeners that would want to be with maybe a part of Nike or you know, the Adidas or even any CPG company or even just in general, a brand that they want to be affiliated with, um, you know, what kind of advice could you give them? I would say it's really important to identify why you want to get into these industries, why you want to work for that company. Is it because it sounds good and it's the big brand and it's the big athlete? Or is it because you have a deep-seated desire to, to impact that industry in a, in a new way or to bring something new to it? Um, I think that's a question that everybody should ask themselves so that they tap into their purpose that will carry them throughout their career. Um and that also helps you when you reach to a point where you want to pivot, right? Or where you reach to a point where you want to take a risk and you want to take a leap um, that might be scary. It's that purpose that kind of drives you through. Um, and I think personally for me, what I've realized is that my purpose is the same whether I was at Howard or in basketball, or SI, or Jordan, or Soleil, right? It, it was always an argument to, to shine light on, on cultures that weren't being understood or authentically represented, whether it was, whether it was shoes, <laughs> or a brand campaign, 
or Manu Ginobili, who's from Argentina and is one of the best, you know, basketball players ever, but wasn't getting his due um, from a marketing perspective. You know, it was so what I, I was able to appreciate now looking back is that that thread carried through everything that I did. Um, and I think that will probably be the best advice I could give anyone is is to identify that. I think for me, I didn't really identify it as concretely, but you know, thankfully I could look back and, and see those connecting points um despite the industry I was in, regardless of what field I was in. No, I love yeah. that. That's that's really amazing. <laughs> um, which I think is an interesting sort of segue to this question that we ask our guests, which is, you know, now that you've you've have this perspective on your career and, and you know your the the education that you've received um um in your life like if you could go back and and give yourself with this perspective your younger self at any point in that journey some advice that you think would um have been helpful in sort of times of you know challenge or um just sort of self-doubt what would that advice be the first thing that comes to mind is to pick my battles. <laughs> you know, um, not every sword is one to die on. Um, you know, and, you know, sometimes you may feel like you are the one that has to champion the cause or make make a point where you see a certain amount of injustice or or, or, or unfairness or whatever right it is um i think looking back i would have you know made a much more calculated decision of when when it was wiser to step back and and let that person or let that situation play out without being the one to kind of draw everyone's attention to it or to fix it um i think that will be one big piece of advice i will give my younger self um what else would i see i i yeah yeah i, I think that would that would be the biggest piece of advice i'll give my younger self awesome well you know You've given us so much valuable information and your time, and we want to thank you so much, Mika. And, you know, if you guys want to know more about Mika and her company, Solil, it's S-O-L-E-I-L entertainment.com. Is that correct? To go to your website? Yes. Awesome. So um, (laughs) get to know her and and hopefully brands will, you know, come to you for for advice as well. So we're super grateful and thankful. for your time yes thank you so much guys and this is great what you're doing um i'm a big fan now so i'll be listening at listening at all the episodes and sharing it with people so i really appreciate this thank you mika thank you so much take care thank you so much mika